Shannon Miller at Lizlin on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we are joined today by special guests. Woo! 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 Yay! Special guests allowed to make noise, too. Yes, you are. Uh, Let's not. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. Uh, We are being joined today by the lovely Han Nguyen and Steve Green, who are both officially part of Team TV here at IndieWire. That wasn't true the last time you guys joined us. That's true. Um, Like, Steve was still technically part of the film team, but we stole you. Uh, like a thief in the night. Yes, it's delightful. It's delightful having you guys. Um, and we're all gathered here today uh, because we're kind of it's we're we're nearing the end midpoint of the year. I feel like, or at least it certainly feels like we're almost halfway through the year. Um, we're uh, we're technically about six weeks shy of it, but whatever. It feels like we're we should be done with the year. I it, feel it feels like we've lived a year. The year should be wrapping up any day now. Yes. But we were, and we were reflecting back on just like the past several months and some of the really cool people we've gotten to interview. And we figured it'd be fun to kind of, you know, do a retrospective of some of the more notable ones and celebrate everyone else's accomplishments in this area. Because interviews are really important. They give us an opportunity to not just, you know, theorize about stuff, but genuinely find out what's going on in some, inside a creator or an actor's head. Most importantly, everyone, I've finally done it. I finally tricked Liz into letting me talk about The Leftovers. Yes. Just this one time you've tricked me into letting you talk about The Leftovers. I never get to. Like, it's one of those things where we keep promising it and promising it, and people write in and they write in, and it never happens. And now, finally, it's going to happen. Now, uh, Ben, can I can I jump in and ask, uh, is The Leftovers a, 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 a podcast, a web series? <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with this piece of entertainment. Great question, Steve. Let me Let me start from the beginning. So... Back in, I'm going to say like 1970-something, a man named Damon Lindelof was born. And around that same period. Well, I haven't even got a Tom Parada yet. So you're you're talking about a food podcast, Leftovers. Not quite. I should still, okay, I need more left. Should I go back further? Okay. um, I think if we started when those first, like, like in the Cavewoman times, that's appropriate from, like, season two. Oh, my God. It's a so drama was... on HBO. Everyone knows this. Don't encourage him. It's not just a drama on HBO. I, I, do, I, do salute, I do salute Ben for committing to the bit. This is, this is, he, he would have gone for 45 minutes if, if we didn't stop him. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, Ben, because you want to talk about The Leftovers, uh, why don't we start off with you t- t- describing one of your favorite interviews of recent times? Well, I did lie to you, Liz. I'm not going to talk about one of them. I'm going to talk about all of them. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really do admire about The Leftovers, and honestly, this is a trend across TV. A lot of my favorite shows, I feel, speak to this in that the people who make it are not only – they seem like very good people in general. They're, they seem kind, considerate, thoughtful, smart. Um, but they're very passionate about the shows they make. And when you talk to them, you can sense that passion. And when you've done enough interviews, you definitely know when somebody's just there filling the gap and you know when something triggers in them and they actually get excited to be part of that conversation. This is the greatest cast I've ever worked with. We're like a family. <laughs> the, I know the, everyone else says that, but we really are just like a family. It was a pleasure to come into work every day. I enjoyed it so much, it never felt like a job. The city itself is a character as well. <laughs> 
None of these happen when I'm talking to people within The Leftovers. More often than not, my interviews get so far off track because we end up talking about either all of the other people involved because they want to make sure they highlight, you know, the cast, crew, writers, everybody on it, like one or all of them, um, while I'm talking to them about their role in the show. Or we just get so wrapped up in the themes of the show and kind of the impact of it that we just go flying off the rails. Um, and this has held true pretty much every season for whenever I've been able to, lucky enough to talk to as many of them as they'll let me talk to. Um, but this year in particular, uh, I thought Scott Glenn had one of the best stories. Like he, he, he literally was an interview where, and it's, he's a great actor. So again, it's one of those things, maybe he had a plan, maybe he is rehearsed. But to me, it felt like I asked a question and he just told a story for like 10 minutes. And that was the bulk of the interview. And usually if somebody goes off on a, like a tirade for 10 minutes, they're all over the place. They're jumping back and forth. You've got, you're like, I need to clarify like 16 things within this big statement I, for this interview to even hold together. And he had this just very succinct story about this process that he went through where he rediscovered acting in a way uh, that was just pretty amazing to me. Like it was one of those things where for, you could feel how important it was to him that he discovered a new technique, applied it in the scene, scared the shit out of him, and he loved every second of it. Um, and for him to tell that story and just kind of let that story out was very fun for me. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Lovely. So, Steve, how about you? What's an interview uh, that you that really struck you over the last uh, several months? Uh, I am a big fan of Silicon Valley, as, as I think we all are here in this room. Yeah. Uh, and the sort of the enduring heart of the show, I feel like, over the past few years has been uh, Zach Woods as Jared. Uh, and I, I, I've, I've said to anybody who will listen that I don't think I've related to a TV character as much as I have to Jared on Silicon Valley. So so getting to talk to Zach Woods, the guy who plays him, uh, was a, a real treat. And not only because he had a lot of insights on the character, uh, but you know, going back to, Ben, what you said earlier, sometimes when you read through a transcript of an interview you've done, you can you can just see that it kind of just forms like this kind of vague, shapeless, like paragraphs where it's just, it's just words. It's just words on a page. Uh, but, uh, but talking to, to, to Zach Woods, looking at that transcript, uh, it was filled with like proper nouns and, and just words that you wouldn't expect people to use in everyday normal conversation. Uh, he, he compared sort of coming up through the UCB world and seeing everybody that he came up with now being sort of the movie stars of the day, he compared it to uh, like playing the theremin, and then all of a sudden <laughs> turning on the radio and all of the top 40 stations are playing theremin music. <laughs> and so just analogies like that, uh, you, know, you get the sense that he wasn't just using these sort of rote uh, anecdotes over and over again. Um, although he did compare uh, Guilfoyle to a cat, uh, which was wonderful. And I, I have a feeling he's been honing that that, that, that description of the Silicon Valley family dynamic for a pretty long time. That's spot on, by the way. Now, as soon as you said it, it was one of those things I couldn't shake. Like, as soon as I heard that that was his description of Guilfoyle, I was like, oh, my God, yeah, that's... Sometimes you got to force an animal on somebody. It's like, what's your spirit animal? And you try to just like, ah, I kind of like this. No, he's a cat. Like, I mean, they could have written that on the scripts. He's, he's constantly pawing at people. Just Absolutely. Get, yeah. get, out of, get out of my way. I, I like what you said about like the fact that he had like fresh anecdotes because you can always tell like one of I had a disappointing experience where I thought I had gotten a really good story out of somebody and then I was watching him on uh, I think it was Seth Meyers and he literally word for word told the exact same story and I mean I published it first so 
that's something. But you know, it was a little, it was a little bit of a bummer. Maybe like, that's how he knew it was good. Yeah, he saw be. your story. He's like, oh wow, that actually played out pretty well. Yeah, our interviews are the open mic of the of the, of the <laughs> right. talent interview world. Yeah, they've got a solid five now, so that's good for them. Yeah. But no, that's exactly. I mean, that Scott Glenn thing. Like he was part of a junket. Like it was a day long thing where he's getting paraded in front of people. So when those reviews started, or interviews started rolling out, I was like, well, let's see what other everybody else got out of it. And some of them touched upon aspects of it, but nobody seemed to have that same like just blanket story. Which was, I mean, it's nice to see. It's it's one of those things where depending on who you're following as a TV fan, you're going to get different versions of the story. Sometimes you'll get the same story, but there's always little tidbits that you want to pick up, and you don't want to read. And, Every single interview of one person, unless that person is Carrie Coon or Mimi Leader <laughs> or Damon Lindelof or the leftovers in general. Uh, but, you know, it's it's helpful to kind of, I think, to hear from different people what interviews really spoke to them because then you'll find ones that really should speak to you as well or, or have a better chance of speaking to you. So, oh. Han, do you have anything on your end that you remember fondly from the great year that is 2017? Spectacular year. Uh, yeah, actually, this happened fairly recently. Um, as everyone knows, Twin Peaks is coming back Shit. after 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to go there. This oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Sneak oh, yeah. preview. And so here's uh. the deal. Um, apparently, I, I got to be the one to speak to David Lynch. And what I always loved about him, because he even appeared at TCA mm-hmm. to talk to the critics and just sitting in on that was fascinating and lovely and hilarious and everything. But he is also sometimes a difficult person to ask questions of because his answers can be very short. Sometimes. (laughs) They had that that meme. Well, it's not even a meme. It's just a literal transcript and a photograph of him being interviewed by somebody that was on Twitter today that was getting around where he said, like, my most personal movie was Eraserhead. And they said, elaborate on that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, when I asked him how he had changed, you know, well, I don't want to preview too much, but, you know, since the first time he met, he's like, well, I'm older, you know. So, yes, of course, I, I totally agree, David Lynch. Um, but anyway, so I was doing this interview at home and I don't have the correct equipment at home when I do these uh, phone interviews. So I just put it on speaker and uh, my neighbors don't mind that. And it and it actually turned out pre- pretty well um, audio wise. But the part that surprised me was. Uh, when I sometimes do these interviews on speaker, my cat comes around because she thinks I'm talking to her. And um, and sometimes she answers me back. And so right in the middle of answering a question um, about animals and his use of animals and um, his projects and the animals that he relates to, my cat meows twice. And loud enough that he's like, is that your cat? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, timing was perfect, and then and once I confirmed that yes, indeed, that was my cat talking to him. Uh, he's like, "Well, I'm sure a cat's very great too. Um, maybe the audio is better if, if we're allowed to use it." Yeah. So if if, if the audio is if the if we're allowed to use the audio, it's about to play right here, and it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I've listened to it like five times once you, when you shared it shared shared it with us. But just in general, yeah, David Lynch talking to your cat is pretty much peak interview for me. Uh, my cat talking to David Lynch. Um, it seems like a movie I would like to watch. <laughs> and um, But everything about it was just lovely. But that was the highlight. And I had to say I giggled to myself for a really long time after that. I look forward to your cat being the third co-host of Very Good TV uh, <laughs> starting, starting in a few weeks. Yeah. 
That's it's likely true, and I totally commiserate with what you're talking about in terms of interviewing at home because my cats do the exact same thing. And there's been a number of interviews in which they've been yelling so loud that somebody's just like, "What's what's going on?" Like they'll <laughs> stop the interview to find out what's happening. I've never once brought them up myself, but they've come up in so many interviews that I've done. It, it shocks me. Like even when I'm not in the house, I was talking to Jared Carmichael and mm-hmm. or Gerard Carmichael, and he was uh, looking at my bag, and he was like, "That's a nice bag, but." What happened to is like my cat scratched it up, and that led to him saying he was thinking about getting a cat, and then me being responsible if he got a cat, and it didn't work out. I would have to take responsibility for that cat. Has so, he gotten a cat yet? Uh, he hasn't told me, so I'm still I'm either assuming it went well or he put it off. But Liz, I think you might have an interview story to top all yeah. the interview well, stories. Well, it's basically a lot of times we get offered like you know phoners with various people and phoners are very good opportunities to get information but every once in a while I like to push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit try to do something a little bigger a little more interesting um, mostly just because you know it's fun to challenge yourself in theory I always kind of I always think to myself it's gonna be fun and then I actually do the thing and I'm like, oh, this was a terrible idea. I'm like, uh, but I just finished, uh, we just finally published um, a profile I did of Orlando Jones, who's an actor and uh, actor I've found very fascinating for years because he's super engaged with fandom and super engaged with fan culture. You can see this on his Twitter feed all the time. And so I basically went, he was, he was they were offering him up for interviews for uh, American Gods, which is the new show he's on now. And I said, well, rather than do like something, do a phoner, w- could we do something? Like, there's this is kind of it's a it's a it's an interview trope that's kind of parodied sometimes. It's in activities with celebrities, um, and I this is certainly guilty of that. But I did go to the California African American Museum with Mr. Jones. And we spent an hour, we talked, my recording, my recording of our conversation is an hour and 20 minutes long. It is, it was intense. There was a lot of stuff that happened, uh, including like, there's one portion of the museum, which was a, essentially a little altar or a a little like worship area, basically where like there were six yoga mats laid out with headrests. And then the idea was you took, took a pair of headphones off the wall and you would listen to this strange mix of static and like chanting. And it was meant to create, basically it was meant to be like a worshiping experience, a opportunity to recreate the experience of worshiping at television. I'm I'm misphrasing this, like the the, the exhibit, uh, the exhibit, um, explanation d- description did a better job of explaining it point is so like I'm just like laying on a yoga mat in the middle of the afternoon next to Orlando Jones uh, listening to the craziest sounds I've ever heard it's it was a lot it was a lot of stuff we talked about a lot of different things and it was a really it was in fact a special experience and I think I got a good piece out of it so that's something I mean are we gonna are we gonna talk about what <laughs> Really and happened? also Orlando Jones and I <laughs> talked for like 10 minutes about whether or not David Duchovny and Jillian Anderson should be a couple. The answer is yes, they should be a couple apparently. I like how you phrased that, Liz, and I like how you phrased it in the headline as well, how, how they should be a couple, how Mulder and Scully should be a couple because they aren't right now and they never have been. Um, I will... I will, I will murder you so hard. <laughs> Everyone, I hope you've enjoyed the very last episode of Very Good TV because Ben will not be alive by the time you listen to this. Almost made it to the end of the leftovers. Almost worth it. But no, that, that was a, that was a very intense part of the conversation. Uh, 
even just from reading it. I mean, just from reading the the words he chose to use, it seemed like uh, the passion was was there in full. And it has um, crossed a barrier online, let's say. I mean, it's the thing about it is that he, I would have felt weird about it, it, the discussion coming up, except that he's very open about it on Twitter that he th- that he thinks this and. There's the real world boundaries, which he's very conscious of, um, and we talk, and that's part of the piece is that he does basically say like, look, I have this, I'm, I'm this fangirl shipping my favorite couple, which is David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, and then there's you know, but that's separate from like him as a grown up human being who goes to a job where Gillian Anderson is also there, and also you know he's friends with David Duchovny and has worked with him several times, so there is lines. And he, I think he's conscious of them, but he's also a giant nerd. <laughs> he also doesn't seem to give a shit. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right in terms of, of how he's actually behaved. But, like, I love the passion that he, he put into those into those few paragraphs that were released. Yeah. Yeah. It Trust me, It there was a lot more. I'm not kidding when I say there was a full five minutes where we just talked about that. And then later on, we came back to it. <laughs> I was actually fascinated by his uh, robots, uh, droids, that is, not robots. Mm. Oh, good point. Droids uh, shipping, I guess. Yeah. Well, he, well, he, he uh, basically is, he kind of points to Star Wars as, like many people, as his kickoff in the fandom. And uh, he saw it when he was eight. And, you know, actually it makes a lot of sense that when you're eight years old, you're not, like, really conscious of romance but you are conscious that people like get together and are partners and work, you know, and all that. So, you know, kind of the relationship between C-3PO and R2-D2 had a lot, a great deal of um, meaning for him. He liked the robots. Um. (laughs) I have no follow-up to that. I, I, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, he just likes robots, man. That's great. Friend of the robot. That's what matters. Well, he, he and uh, but it's interesting too because he was one of the he was talking like he basically was saying that like even though he started off as a writer, uh, he feels much more comf- comfortable with numbers and he's coded before in the past and he's has like a tech savvy background. But that also translates to him being a huge hip hop fan and like learning how learning how music works. And uh, he would, by the way, Baz Luhrmann, if you're listening to this, which of course you are. Uh, Orlando Jones would be very happy to be on the get down if should it get a season two. God, please let it get a season two. That'd be nice. It, it would deserve one. It's great. If it takes Orlando Jones to be on it to get there, so be it. That'd be great too. Yeah, that's that's the make or break situation. What if it is? Could be. Um, but now I think like we talked about like doing. You know, we all wanted to bring in one of our own interviews, but then we were talking about like talking about each other's interviews. And I'm wondering if Ben has an interview that somebody else did that he wants to talk about. Uh, I do, but it's no one in this room. That's fine. I didn't. I wasn't sure. Okay, great. Uh, it is an IndieWire interview because I, I want to try to highlight as many of these as I can. I really, I have a weird personal habit with interviews. I am. I love listening to them on podcasts. I don't know if that's like a better form because when they're written well, they're also they're better. Like I'd prefer to read the best versions of written interviews than I'd, I would to listen to them most of the time. But um, in terms of listening, I loved Michael Schneider's interview with Damon Lindelof. Um, he actually did that <laughs> not for an IndieWire podcast, but for uh, KCRW, the business. I'm shocked. I know, right? What a weird pick. And then um, in terms of the written ones that I want to really draw attention to, I think David Ehrlich's piece on John Wick 2 
Um, he has another one that's that's a much more personal interview with with uh, about personal shopper and and Kristen Stewart and and that's unto itself kind of an interview. But um, the one he did with John Wick too, where he 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 talks to Reeves and he talks to the director about how the director you know went from being Keanu Reeves stuntman to directing him in John Wick and John Wick Two. It's a very well told story. Like it it's it's one of those things where I was right then fairly easily summed it up. Like it wasn't, it didn't take up a lot of time. The interview isn't a huge long thing, but it's a, it's a good piece of writing and um, reading it was incredibly pleasurable for me. Like it was one of those things where this is kind of exactly what I want to read about in terms of this movie, Keanu Reeves, and obviously like its director. Uh, it, it, it paid service exactly to the elements that you'd want. And then also something that I'm working on as well, it had a good critical voice in it. Like, you could tell that Ehrlich loved this movie. Like, he was very excited by it. And that kind of endorsement within an interview, it doesn't have to be, you know, over the top with quotes and bullshit. But, and it, it's it's very authentic, and it helps you relate to it from the from the stance of where you got in. Because you got in because you like the movie, too. Or at least you're interested enough where you're considering like the movie. And that's, to me, a, a very good interview. So... Those are my two picks. No, those are good. I mean, I really like. I, I also really liked uh, Ehrlich's piece. Uh, that that piece. I feel like the thing about it was, it. I'm sure like the story had been told before, but I don't think it had been told so well. And the details about like, like the first the when he went and auditioned to become Keanu Reeves' stunt double, and there's there were some nice per, like nice details in it. I think, and I think like that always like especially like with these like with it especially with a generic Q and A type situation. Like it's always nice to have you know some some ele- something that sticks out and makes it fresh well especially with that one i mean he took some time and i think he sat down for at least an hour or so with the director and got a good chunk of time with everybody else so it was it was nicely put together and i will shout out to one of the um q a formats which i do enjoy reading i like i like the q a formats when they're done well um kate erblin's interview with kurt russell who is a personal icon of mine and a wonderful man to talk to uh but is he an action star or a <laughs> former action star? <laughs> we all know he's an action star. There's just one foolish man out there named this Zach Scharf. Yeah, this, that is an inside joke. We In the New York office, apparently, there was a screaming match over whether or not Kurt Russell was a f- action star or a former action star. And the debate was taken to Twitter, and Zach lost, as he should. Absolutely. Um, and kind of speaking to what we talked about earlier in the sense of um, kind of bringing in those personal elements that maybe you're like, I don't know if this fits for the topic we agreed to discuss. Like Kurt Russell was there to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but Kate managed to mention Sky High, which is a, one of her favorites. And he like latched onto that. And I you know, love Sky. I think Sky High is a great movie. Um, so it, it came up again in our in an interview today with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Apparently, um, there's a seat, there's like a real cult following for the film Sky High. I think is, we could get this thing going. Like I, I think there is enough out there where they could do a sequel to Sky High and, and make some good money off of it. Yeah. Um, but no, like I mean, it that really helped the interview to me. Like it helps with like one of those little details. It's it's two people passionate about something exchanging ideas about it, which is what really sparks. Um, so I I loved I loved these interviews. I always like that's always a good detail too because uh, sometimes I feel like with interviews like I'll be going into it and uh, I'll, I'll be going into an interview and I'll be like okay I need a good opener and sometimes it really just comes down to like finding like that one project or that one thing that the guy or the guy or the gal will be like really respond to like when I was interviewing Mark Lynn Baker 
Um, I used uh, My Favorite Year, which is a movie he starred in in 1980 as a kind of opening. And I don't normally do the, you know, I loved you in this movie thing, but I felt like that would work in terms of loosening him up. And what was interesting about that was as soon as I did that, he was like, what's your favorite line? And I was like, oh, shit, he's quizzing me. And I actually, uh, I, I did have something on, I did have come up with something, but there was like a moment of like, I didn't pick a line of his, and I'm sure he was very offended. Uh, to clarify, and this is important, Liz was talking to Mark Baker because he was on The Leftovers. Yes, that is true. So, Leftovers. <laughs> Steve, I think you had some picks, though. Yeah. Um, I, I, since you have, have covered all the people outside the room that I was going to uh, give credit to and did it in a way that I was going to, uh, I will actually follow the rules and, and talk oh. about somebody who's in the room. Uh, and that's Liz Shannon Miller. Um, I, I really enjoyed her talk with Richard Shepard, the director oh. of the bottle episode from this year's season of Girls, uh, the Matthew Reese episode. Uh, it just, I feel like some of the best kinds of these interviews happen when you are able to talk to somebody who isn't necessarily the the first person people want to talk to. Uh, the fact that uh, you know it, it wasn't with 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 Lena Dunham or Matthew Reese, it was with somebody who was who was there, was able to sort of talk through the entire process of sort of start to finish, put it in context, and do it in a way with details that I think. Anybody who saw that episode, there were certain things about it that that that, that stood out right away. Yeah, and and so I, I think the way that that Liz, you were able to talk with him about it and and get him to sort of share details that if you were just having a normal conversation or if the the person you were talking to had already done fifteen of these interviews, mm-hmm. you you got you got some some thoughtful answers that I don't know uh, other people would have. Steve, I, I agree with your with your praise of this article, but I do have a question. Would uh, would the article perhaps have been enhanced any by just maybe um, a couple of color commentary lines from one Matthew Reese? Like just maybe if Matthew Reese could have said a couple of things, if we would have reached out to him, then maybe that would have been a helpful addition to the interview. What have I, do- for- what have I done? <laughs> First things first. I think we've already talked about. Down. I think we've already talked about this on the podcast too. We've we've never actually talked about this on the. I podcast. thought we did. What? I thought we talked about Matthew Reese. Oh yeah. Well, he's great. Well, yeah, but I mean, I thought we talked about how we kind of biffed it. Well, to be fair, they, we were maybe promised that we could get him, and uh, but we've been promised that before. We've never. It's never happened for you. I know. That's why I'm. That's why it scars me to this day that that we biffed it, and I do mean I we. don't. Wine show season two. <laughs> wine show season two. I want Facebook that. Live with the wine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, I I feel like thank you for that because I feel like the, 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 it's been fun. Like we've been trying to, I've been trying to focus more on like episode stuff uh, as opposed to bigger, longer things because that's kind of what we're seeing people respond to, um, and. Uh, interview it was, it was interview wise and it's been fun like having these conversations with PR people where it's like well we can't get you Lena Dunham like I know you can't get me Lena Dunham I w- totally anticipated that I want the director because I think I can get him and he will actually he'll actually have something to say like I mean being able to being willing to settle has actually paid off pretty nicely like I didn't get the Wachowskis uh, for Sensei but I did talk to Grant Hill who's been producing their been their unit production manager since 
uh, the Matrix Reloaded. And he had a lot. He he ended up giving me a really good story that ended up being kind of a nice hook for uh, a sensei piece. Did he did he talk about his uh, overcoming uh, injuries on the court? <laughs> Sorry, oh. I've been di- I've been dying to make a Love Grant it. Hill joke oh. for, for Love weeks. It. Oh Feel it. God. Love it. I'm, into I'm it. so glad I waited until now to, Proud to, of to, it. to cash in my oh. one chip. Wow. And I will say that Liz is right. Sometimes you know. You, instead of shooting for the big fish, you go for the one that really matters. I mean, I, it took me probably five phone calls to HBO before they realized, no, I'm not asking for anyone on Game of Thrones. I just want everyone on The Leftovers. <laughs> Steve is laughing. He's off mic, but I got one chuckle. <laughs> How about you, Han? Um, I can think of maybe a couple. One is, again, sort of cat-themed, which is... Um, Sometimes you don't actually know the people that you're talking to, but I think Kate Urban, her interview with the Ketty filmmakers, yeah. seconded on <laughs> how to actually shoot footage of cats, especially when they you don't own them and they live on the streets, and was just fascinating to me. And I I think it's kind of an an idea that many cat owners try to even take a picture of their cat and you know runs into these problems because you can't control them. Um, but I like the idea, I like hearing about. Um, how they had a team and people would would call and say, oh, I spotted this cat on the street, but now you, by the time they scrambled and got there, they were it was gone. And uh, there was just so much about it that I was like, oh, fascinating. And it, it made for a great documentary. Did we ever find out how long or how hard it was for them to get that last shot in the night of? Oh. Like without spoiling anything, but I mean, it involves a cat. You know what? I never got to talk to anyone about the actual cat. I've only heard like jokes about the cat. I don't think I've heard any shooting details about the cat. I feel so like if Bam he's Bam. just walking across the screen, it's possible it wouldn't have been that hard. But I mean, well I'm not a cat though. trainer, clearly, because yeah. um, my cat wouldn't shut up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, so yes, cats uh, filmmaking. If you haven't seen Ketty, see it. Read this interview. It's fascinating. Um, second and third and. Yes. The second one I was just thinking about because we were talking about uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead for Facebook Live, but I'm not going to talk about her. She was great today. But it was Steve with Hank Azaria. Mm. Oh, yeah. Hank Azaria is, I mean, he's clearly a pro, but also it was just like the amount of knowledge and energy and just everything that he could talk about with like baseball. And I don't even care about baseball, but. Um, was fascinating, and he also, I, I gotta say, I appreciate it when when someone makes sure to mention the person's name who's asking the question. And so when our uh, East Coast colleague, Jude Dry, asked a question, he made sure to make the requisite joke, but in the very best way possible, hey, Jude. I mean, if, 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 if I've been, I have to confess, like I resist, it, it goes to my head every time I say, hey, Jude. Um, and I'm glad that if someone did it, it was Hank Azaria. Um, it made her day. Yeah. yeah only a f- I think only a few people get a pass on that kind of joke, and Hank Azaria absolutely is one of them. Yeah. Well, I think what's, what uh, uh, what I think like, I mean I think what's great about Steve as an interviewer is that if for that <laughs> well no but like I no I hear I think here's the thing like now we have a larger team now like the fact that we have four five people including Mike with us is that we can do something that we don't often that we didn't get to do back when it was just me and Ben which is pair pair people better like you know if there's like someone like like I should not do an interview about baseball with Hank Azaria like that's a bad idea like I have a lot of skills but knowing about knowing in, intricate baseball jokes is not going to be one of them 
Uh, but we have Steve, and Steve is a perfect match for it. Um, and also, it's something that wasn't able to be highlighted in Facebook Live because it's about Hank Zaria. You know, it's not about Steve, but Steve does impressions. And uh, I would have loved to have heard them do some dueling you know, oh. voices and stuff like that. But uh, Hank Zaria did deliver a lot of voices, um, and we enjoy Steve's voices here in the office. Brockmire season two, let's make it happen. <laughs> God, can, Frank, Steve, can you do a Hank Azaria voice? I can kind of do Brockmire a little bit. <laughs> now, we have you on the podcast. We take advantage of this and do, have you do lots of impressions. Yeah, we should have prepped you better. Yeah. We should have been like, yeah, and that, that Jeffrey Wright interview I did was really good. <laughs> and we just yes. happened to have Jeffrey here. Uh, episode 125, if we want to make it an extravaganza, I'll, 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 I'll bring in some of my friends. <laughs> That's great. Um, Dick. Oh, no. Uh, things are falling around and falling down around the office. Um, I wanted Dicks. to, I wanted to highlight one of Hans' interviews that I really liked, uh, which is, uh, when you spoke with Yvette Nicole Brown for Cosplay Melee. And it's more like, I think what I liked about it was that you got you I don't know if it was like the best interview for you like but in terms of, I mean she's a lovely person I'm just not sure if there was a ton but what I really liked is the way you ended up structuring the piece and making it like a nice like guide to you know being a cosplayer and celebrating the culture in that way so I thought that was a really cool approach why thank you I think uh cosplaying sometimes has some misconceptions from people who are outside the uh the fandom world in general mm -hmm. and um she's pretty diehard when it comes to fandom uh, she doesn't cosplay herself but I I could tell that there was a lot of love there and so that actually made me kind of want to do right by it yeah that was a piece that came together nicely thank you um so any uh, any other interviews we want to mention any 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 who oh, actually let me ask this uh, let's go around. Who would be like your dream interview? Like the one big one that you haven't gotten yet that you really do want? I mean, probably. <laughs> that you haven't Pass. gotten. <laughs> no passing. The, the key grip from season three of Leftovers? <laughs> he's really elusive. I think, just Wait. Can't, I think he stayed in Australia. Wait, Ben, didn't you want to get all of the friends at some point? Yeah, so... my, my lifelong goal is, is the friends cast. Put down the microphone. No. Uh, I've only got one out of the six, so long way to go. I actually can't think of anyone right now. I mean, like my bucket list is pretty is isn't like super long. Like, I feel like Joss Whedon is one I would love. I think I feel like he, he I feel like he's a good interview, and I've only been a fan of his work for you know twenty years or so. So, you know, that'd be fun. Yeah, I, I feel like most of the people that I would, that at this point I would get kind of nervous around or, or would be musicians. Because I feel like, not to, yeah, not to, but, but like having, having gotten the chance to talk to some of the people who have made movies and TV that I really love, uh, musicians is, is an area that, that, that there are some people who uh, it would be very hard for me not to go cr full Chris Farley. And <laughs> <laughs> be like, remember that time you sang about being in your 20s in LA and not knowing what to do. Yeah, that, that, was, that really spoke to me. That was, that was awesome. That was awesome. I, I kind of hear that, because I think for me that might be authors. Um, I, uh, I did a set visit for Midnight Texas and spoke to Charlene Harris, who had written the book that's you know the author behind the True Blood series. Um, and she wrote the Midnight Texas books. And she's just, 
she's just a really lovely person to chat with. She has strong feelings about everything, but also just has a delightful sense of humor. But it was just, maybe it's just a breath of fresh air just to talk about books, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe to get her outsider's view of TV because she's very much hands off. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not very precious with her stuff. She's like, if you want to adapt it, it's your thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was kind of interesting to me. So maybe talking to more authors, I would, oh, Neil Gaiman, I talked to once for Doctor Who, but maybe more more people like that who have adapted, had the works adapted. Yeah, I actually spoke, I spoke with Neil Gaiman uh, for American Gods and it was delightful. And I, and I also like, I don't do red carpets as a rule, like, cause they're awful. Um, and they're not that bad. They're fine. Um, but I don't like doing them necessarily, uh, and especially like because you know it's it's a hard interview it's a hard interview of location at the very least. But anyways, it's fine. Um, anyways, I agreed to do the Handmaid's Tale red carpet because it was the only way I could talk to uh, it was the only way I could talk to Margaret Atwood, and it was funny because up until that point I'd always made a big thing about like I don't do red carpets. There's no one I would do a red carpet for, and then I got that email from Hulu, and I was like, okay. Turns out that's not true. <laughs> and and speaking of Neil Gaiman, uh, if you are about to sort of start catching up with American Gods, uh, I would highly recommend seeking out Liz's uh, piece where Neil Gaiman goes through cast member by cast member and explains why they're great. Because in addition to uh, a nice a nice bit of of introduction, uh, it does give you a nice overview of of who all these characters are and why they are great. I'm gonna do that because I am behind on American Gods. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I'm going to steal Liz's normal position in which uh, I asked the question of the week. I'm going to pose it briefly to you guys, but it's also going to open up a little bit of a can of worms. And that is, uh, what do you guys actually look for or what intrigues you about interviews now? Because we're living in a day and age in which uh, the celebrities, uh, no matter what their medium, they can kind of get the message out on their own however they want to do it. Um, there's, you, know, they, they, you can talk to people on Twitter. You can watch a lot of, you know, videos, video blogs, video essays, uh, there's panels. There, I mean, there's so many different ways in which these people make themselves available. Um, what is it about an interview that kind of stands out to you, and what do you look for? Like, is it is it just a hook? Is it a newsy hook? Is it a different story? Is it the, the relevancy to, you know, whatever project they're working on now? Is it just the person where it's like, whatever they're doing, I'll read about it? Um, I'm, I'm curious about what that kind of line is in 2017. I mean, my, my, if it's, if it's written, if it's on the page, I love the kind of interviews where even without excessive punctuation or, or uh, italics or, or bolding, you can almost hear in your head how the people were actually saying those answers. Uh, there are some people who are really good at, uh, who are really good at getting those kinds of answers out of people and, and structuring it in that kind of way. But, but those, those are the ones that I really look forward to. I think uh, for me, it ends up being when they reveal something, I don't know, a personal preference of, of their own, like your Orlando Jones uh, interview, Liz, which it's just, it's fascinating. I don't want to say it's like maybe a little jaded right now, like having done so many interviews, but it, it humanizes them all over again for me when you find out these things and sometimes these quirks are things you share with them mm-hmm. um so like when i was talking to johnny flynn who is right now the young einstein on genius but also on lovesick which is one of my favorite uh <laughs> rom-coms and it's on netflix uh just his his the thought he was putting into like music and what he did does with you know his performance 
it, it, it made it much more fun for me to talk to him. And it, it was, you know, whether certain things can work or not in how you write it, it uh, I think it makes for you to be more connected to. Very good answers. Yeah. I mean, I feel like right now, I feel like right now I kind of look for the oddities in interviewing. Like, uh, I, I feel like Mike Ryan over at Uproxx has kind of developed a really intriguing style of just like really leaning into whatever weird thing he wants to bring up. Uh, and it really feels like a conversation too. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just, you know, you come in with your 10 questions and ask them and leave. Exactly. It feels like he, he seems to have, a, he has a real knack for like getting real responses out of people, uh, which is nice. And, and every now and then I, I felt bad. Like I really wanted to ask David Lynch what his favorite pies were. But I mean, I felt like, you know, there's sometimes you have to balance it with like what you know the questions you need to ask are. And sometimes you wonder, is that a missed opportunity to get a more honest reaction, you know, by doing the sort of the rote questions that other people might have. I mean, I feel like the rote, the thing with rote questions is where they come in. Like, I remember I did, I interviewed Elizabeth Moss about The Handmaid's Tale, and I managed to get to, like, minute 20 without asking her about her relationship with the book. And it was only then because I was, like, I, I needed it for context. But you know the number one question they get is, had you read the book first? Uh, and so I was, I wanted to avoid that. What drew you to the project? <laughs> what? I do. I, I feel like I kind of, I sometimes go with that, like, you know, how do you end up in this mess kind of question. <laughs> yeah. Um, not mess, wonderful things. Uh, ben, you still haven't said who your dream interview is. It's the Friends people. Okay, that's good. Right, that's right, never mind. You it's my say, friends. How many of them the have friends. you interviewed? Just Schwimmer. Just Schwimmer. I feel, like you've got, I feel like you've gotten close to LeBlanc. Yeah, I mean, when episodes hits, I'll make a big push again. As long as you didn't read my man with a plan review. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really just praise for episodes, so it should be fine. <laughs> It, it was actually. Yeah. Well, the, here's the really important question, the biggest question we got. Han, what was the best thing you watched last week? Ooh, um, I have to maybe owe you a little bit of a nod for this, but uh, Liz, but I was researching for the best shows on Netflix, uh, foreign language shows on Netflix that have um, subtitles, and I finally sat down to see, watch 3%. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So for those who don't know, it's uh, Brazilian. It's a dystopian tale set in the near future of Brazil. And basically, um, most people live in total scarcity and squalor. And um, But when you turn 20, you get the opportunity to pass something called the process. And if you pass 3% of you, then you get to live in, like, nice comforts and, you know, modernity and, like, I mm. don't know. Uh, but yeah, so it was actually just so well done because it's not doesn't feel super sci-fi, um, and it, just the the characterizations are good. Mm -hmm. And you also, again, with almost any dystopian tale, you kind of put yourself in their place and be like, "Oh, would I pass?" And you're like, "No, I would die probably." So <laughs> yeah, how how far are you into it? Um, I'm I only saw two episodes because I've been well. Too much TV. Busy. But also, if I kept on watching, I wouldn't have been able to watch all the other shows um, to research for this uh, story. Uh, so, yeah. But I'm glad you like three percent. Um, that was that was a that was a that one could caught me pleasantly by surprise when I saw it. Um, I, I was not even planning to watch the whole thing when I was, was reviewing it, and then I was like, no, I got to watch the whole thing. Uh, so it's it's a rare, it's a rare addictive favorite. Uh, Steve, how about you? What's your 
I, I too will be going to the land of Netflix. Uh, Maria Bamford's uh, most recent stand-up special. Uh, it's called Old Baby. Uh, it's it's not your typical stand-up special. Uh, sh- the places where she does stand up uh, include uh, a living room um, on on a neighborhood street. Uh, at sort of an open air restaurant area before eventually sort of by the end getting to a, a, a traditional comedy club. Uh, but it's, it's, it's delightful and it's the kind of comedy that you can only get from her. Like she has a very singular style and, and, and jumping around at these different, different locations fit her to a T. It's, it's wonderful. No, so it, 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 the flow of the actual comedy she's doing feels like she's just doing it in one location. Yes, yes, it, it's it's edited together, and and it, it doesn't it's not jarring when it hops from place to place. It kind of all flows through each other, and and there are kind of these little tiny sketches that that sort of serve as as sort of the connective tissue of everything. But uh, it's it's very funny. She has a line about cemeteries that I still laugh about whenever I think of it. Uh, it's it's great. Nice. Were you telling me about another special where there were two? Uh, stand up, like he did the same stand up routine twice, one in India and one in New York. That would be Veer Das, uh, yeah. who is an Indian comic, uh, who uh, it, he records basically the same set in in Dubai, or no, I'm sorry, not Dubai, Delhi, and and New York City, mm-hmm. and so cuts between the two. In Delhi, he's he's in front of a sold out stadium, and in New York, he's in uh, like a smaller comedy club, and so so he <laughs> he sort of plays with the the, the different cultural reactions to different things that he's saying and it, it, again uh, it, it, it's, it's it's really interesting I, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun digging into all the Netflix specials uh, hopefully hopefully it'll be something on the site soon where it'll package them all together what a coincidence <laughs> Ben what was the best thing you watched last week uh, well I was gonna pick a Netflix show but now I'm feeling kind of like a like a shill so I'm gonna skip it and go with another choice I love dick is very good do you love it? I love Catherine Hahn. Yeah. Um, I, 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 will, I will reiterate a point that I made here in the office uh, last week. I think Catherine Hahn, I Love Dick, is the best performance on, in, on any sort of screen I've seen all year. I, I think she's <laughs> that good in this. I don't want to step on that at all, so I'm going to move on to Liz because I can't I – can't, I'll just move on to Liz. Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Um, well, Catherine Hahn is great. Catherine Hahn is great in it. Yeah. Great. Period. Steve, yes. Okay. Um, I, I want to mention with uh, I Love Dick that if you find – give give the shot it, – it, it's a lot to say, like, give the show a shot through episode five because that's five episodes of television. But episode five is really special uh, and with I Love Dick. This is, the, this is the, the struggle point with the show. It's that they are very conscious – that they are not going to abide by typical narrative structure. It is very much an experimental TV season, and I do think I do think episode five is the strongest episode of the series. I am very curious if they would have either put it earlier or broken it up in a way that would have integrated some of those elements earlier. If it would have made the entire season more addictive. Um, but I almost admire the fact that they waited in a weird way, even though it's, I don't think it's 
I don't think it's in in Congress with their mission to mm-hmm. make the, to like have this thing expand to a wider audience. That's so. actually very interesting because Jill Soloway said it was originally not episode five; it was like episode two. Jill, Jill, Jill. <laughs> Gotta let Gubbins make those decisions, Jill. Gotta let Gubbins do it. Whoa. Okay. I don't know if Gubbins said it or not. I'm just saying. Could have been. Could have been good. All right. So, my best thing. I haven't been able to watch a lot lately. Um, beyond uh, the uh, HBO clip of uh, moms reading out loud the dialogue that their children have had performed online on on, on HBO shows, which was delightful. Um, I watched it twice. Uh, I'm just going to shout out, I've, I've mentioned it at least once before, but Talk Show the Game Show continues to delight me. Um, it is very good, very interesting television. It's got real smarts to it, and it's a lot of fun, and you get to watch Moby um, go on a hunting rampage against Tofu at one point, and so it's worth checking out. Didn't somebody... Tofu? Yes, yeah. yes, you heard that right. Yeah. Didn't somebody, didn't somebody do, like, an interview on that? Like, a big interview? Like a... Yeah, maybe I did a giant profile piece on that one, too. No, I think it was on Vulture. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Liz is so sad, Liz. I'm, I'm just kidding. I haven't seen any other interviews, actually. I think you might be the, the, the they, topper. They did a little bit, but I certainly put the most effort in. Um, yeah. So, Han, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, so, although I do have an... A review up by now. It's only the first two episodes, so what I am looking forward to is the rest of the episodes, which is Anne with an E. Um, it's the adaptation of Anna Green Gables, but it's the director is, uh, or at least for the first two episodes, Nikki. First episode is Nikki Caro from um, Whale Rider. Nice. And then the creator, creator showrunner, is Mara Beckett. Wally Beckett? Wally Beckett. Yes, Wally Beckett, who <laughs> had written like Breaking Bad and Flesh and Bone. So those are kind of weird when you think about like with Anna Green Gables. I've heard people refer to it as the gritty Anna Green Gables. It's 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 there are dark moments definitely, which is really funny for a, a property that's known for its positivity and sort of like I don't know rainbows and sort of stuff. And um, so I'm actually looking forward to seeing how dark it gets, Mm -hmm. where it goes with this, what social ills they bring up, because they did say it was going to bring up like bullying and I don't know, uh, prejudice, uh, sexism, stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah. I mean, between that and Cars 3, we're going to have the summer of gritty children entertainment. Mm -hmm. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going (laughs) to say the exact same thing. I saw you like kind of lean a little bit. I'm like, Steve, I'm already at the mic. (laughs) Yeah. And Steve, so what is the next thing you're looking forward to watching? I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, it has not yet aired as we're recording, but by the time you listen to this, it will have already aired. Uh, last night I was fortunate to go to a taping of At Midnight, oh. uh, which is... Uh, Hold on. You can't... I don't... I think... <laughs> I think there's a. I think this is foreboding. I mean, at least in the, the in the host? proximity of of the office next oh, to us. Yes. I don't think we're allowed to talk Fair. about this. We just Fair. just don't mention his name. Yeah. The 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 reason that it's wonderful is that the episode that's airing tonight is the Mother's Day episode. Uh, so in addition to the usual three comics at a podium, uh, they actually have their moms uh, on on set, and it's wonderful. And there is there is a joke. Uh, Ron Funches roasts the Sklar brothers. Uh, and, Everyone on stage and on set laughed so hard that they almost had to stop filming. Oh wow! So, uh, so it, it, it's but also it's it's lovely. Uh, it's a lovely tribute to uh, the women uh, who have made these comedians' lives. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love Ron Funches. So Ben, what are you looking forward to? <laughs> I love Ron Funches too. If only for that name. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if my embargo is up on this. I think there isn't one. So I'll just say that I'm, but just to be safe, you're I'll looking say. Forward, this is what you're looking forward to. I know, but I've taken I don't know if my embargo is up yet, but I will just say that I am looking forward to Casual Season 3. Um, and I've, I know that there are developments that will be of interest to everyone in early episodes. And that's all I'm going to say. Interesting. I'm looking forward to those developments. Interesting. How they hit the world. Interesting. And how people react. Because so many people talk about Casual. So many people. You don't know how many people talk about Casual. Half casual. The pe- half the people in this room talk about casual. <laughs> that Fact. is true. And I came to the realization earlier today that casual might be the most programmed TV show at film festivals. Hmm. It has been to hmm. Toronto, uh, Tribeca, and South by Southwest. Hmm. Fascinating. And, wait, a- and ATX, technically. Wait, but that's what, did, what did it festival. do at South by? I don't know. I don't remember. They only programmed first years, and I don't think they premiered there. It was there, though. Played. That's what I've been told. That's uh, not sure about your police work there. Maybe he is thinking of ATX. I might be thinking of ATX. We might want to check that. I don't care. Either way, it's a big show, so shut your face and get excited. Okay. Yeah. That, this is my excited face. Look it how excited I am. It looks far less excited than when Orlando Jones talked about David Duchovny and Jillian Anderson <laughs> boning. So what he, are you looking got- forward to other than that, Liz? He didn't say they were going to bone. He just thinks that they should end up together on Golden Pond. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, because they never actually bone. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say I'm looking forward to Better Call Saul next, uh, as, as the, uh, which will be the episode airing tonight as you listen to this. Uh, I will not reveal anything, but it's worth looking forward to. Um, also, I'm looking forward to Upfront's trailers. I like Upfront's trailers. They're fun. Um, and, you know, because they're longer than regular trailers, and they're, they, can be, they can be pretty terrible, but they can also be pretty cool. And, like, they do, they're supposed to sell the show to advertisers, so you get a lot of cool stuff in them. And uh, they'll be rolling out all week long next week, so it should be fun. Yeah. Ask me what I'm not looking forward to next week, Liz. What are you not looking forward to next week? Upfront's trailers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, fine. <laughs> We're not specifying what network. We're just... That'll actually be the topic of next week's episode. Upfront trailers. Good for society. Or the bane of it. Uh, I, like, I, like, I like that serious tone of your voice. Um, but you'll be able to read all about this voice. stuff and more at IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features. And if you like this podcast, make sure you listen to Turn It On with Michael Schneider. And Filmmaker Toolkit with Chris O'Fault, as well as the very good TV podcast cohorts Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson on Screen Talk. And uh, thank you so much to Stephen Hahn for joining us. Where can you be found on the Twitters? Uh, Hanonymous on the Twitters. And Steve Bruin on the Twitters. Oh, Bruins. And you can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. Find Liz on the Twitters at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Correct. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television.